What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of the hosts of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Other half of the podcast, Kevin Valentin here. Kyle, I can't say happy Sunday for me, but happy Sunday for you. <laughs> I, I know, because granted, he's not on my team anymore, but my team got the dub today, and that's all that matters. And kind of go along with that, bro, we had some shockers today in the yeah. NFL. You know, I know we'll go over a couple of those, but just kind of like off the top of my head, I mean, the Saints beating the Bucks today. The Jets beating the Bengals. I mean, there were some pretty solid upsets today, and I know we'll go over them in a couple other games. But um, all in all, it was a great week eight in the NFL, a lot to go over. So just to go over the agenda for today's episode, it'll go like this. So our first feature topic, it will be the New Orleans Saints coming up with a huge win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. With the win, the Buccaneers fall to excuse me the saints move to five and two in the season and the buccaneers fall to six and two after the loss after that we're going to transition into probably one of the more sad topics of discussion for kevin at least for his sake because we will be going over the tennessee titans beating the indianapolis colts in overtime today in a 34 to 31 shootout and then after that we will talk about the Pretty solid upset of the New England Patriots going on the road to play the Los Angeles Chargers and getting the road win, winning by the score of 27-24. to 24. After that, it's basically just a weekly thing at this point, but we'll go over our honorable mentions. Kevin will list his game that he thinks is worthy of mention, and I'll list one as well. And then we're going to go over some of... Some of the quotes that we heard from some of the Kansas City Chiefs players chiming in on what they view their fan base after there was some hubbub that took place going into the end of last week. And after that's taken care of, we will finish up the episode with a preview of the Chiefs and Giants game that's going to take place on Monday night. So that is the agenda that we have slated for you guys. So first things first, we are going to go over the Buccaneers and the Saints game. So a huge NFC South matchup and going into this game, both Kevin and I thought that the Bucks were going to handily win this game, but you know, that's why they play the game and the new Orleans saints with the odds stacked against them, they get this big win against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers winning by the score of 36 to 27. Like I had mentioned earlier, the win bumps them up to five and two on the season. Currently they are one game back of Tampa who currently hold a 6-2 record. And even though that New Orleans did win this game, it did come with a little bit of a side note attached to it because Jameis Winston did leave this game with potentially a torn ACL or some significant uh, knee ligament damage. He was playing in the first half of the game, kind of took of a kind of took a bad tackle from Devin White, and his knee got rolled up and tried to get it going on the sideline in his post-injury assessment, and they just it didn't work out for him. He ends up getting carted off the field, and it's looking unfortunately like that Jameis will be out for this season. Hopefully not, but the injury did look particularly serious as far as the injury that he sustained. But all in all, the Saints get a huge win on the road. I mean, excuse me, at home. And they keep their hopes alive in the NFC South with this win. So, Kevin, to pose the question to you, just how surprising was the Saints' win over the Buccaneers in Week 8? 
Um, it's definitely more than surprising, at least to me, just because you look at it and you say, okay, first and foremost, the Bucks are one of the better teams in the league. Uh, conference aside, the Bucks have just been playing phenomenal football. Um, Tom Brady is playing at an MVP caliber level. Uh, the defense has been doing their jobs. They haven't been highly successful, at least. You know what I mean? I'm not saying that they're one of the most dominant defenses outside of um, their rush defense, but they're getting the job done. You know what I mean? They're, they're, they're making sure that teams are kind of within a certain range. Tom Brady's making sure that the offense is clicking. But to get to the point, um, it, like we said, we didn't see this coming. So then obviously the Saints go out and win this game, but they do it in a convincing fashion without their starting quarterback that is Jameis Winston, without really a, a super successful run game. I mean, outside of Jameis's four big scrambles for 40 yards, I mean, we're looking at a measly 112 yards as a team rushed, which would be a significant decrease in terms of total yards. But I mean, we're looking at 152 with Jameis's rushes included for 4.8 yards to carry they were able to keep Alvin Kamara in check in terms of the Bucks' defense for 61 total yards at 3.2 yards per carry. But Trevor Simeon, man, we have to give the man some credit. He came in there. He did what he needed to do, 16 of 29 for 159 yards and a touchdown. Nothing crazy, nothing flashy, but he did make a couple of good throws to put them in a position to win. And the Saints did what they needed to do. The Saints' defense, man, let's also give them a lot of kudos. They sacked Tom Brady three times. They also forced three turnovers with two interceptions and a strip sack. So – the Saints defense stepped up where it needed to. Their offense did just enough to go out there and, uh, you know, score enough points to put them in a comfortable position to win. And it just looked like the Saints were the better team today. I don't necessarily know if, if uh, the Bucks were kind of prepared for the rush that was going to end up coming from the Saints. Or I don't know if they maybe thought that this was going to be an easier game once Jameis went out. Because, I mean, like, let's be realistic. Um, we're looking at a 16-7 to halftime score. And then out of nowhere, the Bucks are up for 14 points in the third but then they can't contain New Orleans in the fourth and they give up 13 points. So it kind of went back and forth up until later part of the fourth quarter. And it just looked like the Bucks did not have it going today. I mean, we've talked about this before in order for the Bucks to win, they have to run the football. They play their best football when they run the football. Um, they only had 14 total rushes. Granted it was for 71 yards at 5.1 a clip, but that's just not going to get it done. I understand that they were behind for a decent amount of this game, but you do have to keep the run honest you'd have to keep that run consistent in order to create that play action and so that the receivers can get separation downfield so nothing too crazy here it was a good football game but it really just does show any given Sunday I mean any team can beat anybody and again the Saints are no bad team they're no scrub but you just didn't expect it this Sunday the way that the Bucks have been playing thus far and you would have thought that with Jameis Winston getting hurt that would have been the Buccaneers opportunity to come back into this game but the defense, like I had said earlier, stepped up and really made life a living hell for Tom. And everybody knows when you get Tom, Tom rattled in the pocket and you kind of hit him a few times and you make his life a little bit miserable, um, he does tend to make some mistakes. The interceptions are a part of the game. He's been playing relatively mistake-less or mistake-free for the most part of the season. But the Saints created turnovers, and I believe that's the contributing factor as to why they won this game. So when I look at this game in its totality, I got to be honest. I thought New Orleans played a phenomenal game on both sides of the ball. Even after Jameis went out, I thought Trevor Simeon, he was inserted into the lineup, and I thought he played admirable football. Was he perfect? No, because there were a couple mistakes that he made, just some missed throws, some mistimed passes. But by and large, Trevor Simeon hasn't played a starting role in probably three years. So getting thrusted into that 
starting role after Jameis went out. I thought he played pretty well, but really what I want to focus on is that defense. And the fact of the matter is, is that they were able to beat Tampa by forcing turnovers in this game. They got two off of Tom as far as interceptions go. And then they also got the strip sack against them. When you get three turnovers against Tom Brady, that's a solid performance to be proud of, even though that they did give up 27 points and there were stretches where Tampa really were hitting their strides offensively. When the moments mattered the most, New Orleans' defense stepped up when it needed to, and they were able to give that offense that was Jameisless after Jameis went out with that potentially significant knee injury and gave their offense a short field to work with. And when I look at New Orleans, this is still a team to be reckoned with. Granted, I think a lot of people wrote them off just because I think Tampa's been so dominant this year. But New Orleans is sitting at a 5-2 and two record. They're only one game back of Tampa as far as in the win column. And Tampa's going to have their bye week next week. So if New Orleans wins their game next week, they're going to be tied with Tampa at 6-2 and two after week 9, which would be a phenomenal start for the Saints after... You know, last year they lost Drew Brees to retirement, and I think a lot of people were expecting a step back from this team. But they have played extremely well, and Jameis up until this point I thought was playing kind of like a game manager type of play and was effective in that role. But now we're going to see whether or not that Trevor Simeon will be the guy to be able to carry them because it doesn't look like Jameis is going to be returning to the football field anytime soon this season. So this is a great win for New Orleans. I got nothing else to say about New Orleans in that regard. Now, when it comes to Tampa, Tampa shot themselves in the foot today. There's no other way to say it. The the turnovers hurt. You know, giving up three sacks, it doesn't help either. But really, the main point that I got to focus on with Tampa is the amount of penalties that they had in this game. They had 11 penalties for almost 100 penalty yards attached to that. And there were some crucial penalties that they picked up, especially late in the game defensively. It just it sets your team so far behind the eight ball when you're getting those numbers of penalties in this game. And hell, I mean, had Tampa cut half the penalties in this game, more than likely they would have been walking out of New Orleans with the win. But you tie that in with the amount of turnovers that they had. Tom did not have his best game, even though that he threw four touchdowns, which is just crazy to say. You know, throwing four touchdowns, and this was probably one of his worst performances of the year. I mean, it got it kind of says something about Tom Brady being able to rise against the adversity, but you know, he had that, that pick six at the end of the game that gave new Orleans that nine point lead. And then after that was pretty much over. So when I look at Tampa here, this looked like a trap game. This is their game right before their bye week going into week nine. And they got up to a very slow start in this game. And it's kind of something that I've noticed about Tampa is In some of these games early on through the first quarter or two, they get off to slow starts and then they kind of really pick it up in the third and fourth quarter. That is going to have to be something that they're going to focus on as they get into the second half of the season. They're going to have to get a more solid start in some of these games. It doesn't account for last week when they got up to a 35 to three start against Chicago, but against better quality teams, they have been getting off to slow starts and that's going to be something to keep in mind as the season progresses. I'm not worried about Tampa. Tampa Tampa's a very good team still, but I think we got to give a lot of credit to New Orleans. I think a lot of people were not really giving New Orleans that much of a chance this season after Drew Brees had retired, but they're sitting one game behind Tampa in the NFC South, and pretty much I think everybody had this thing locked up for Tampa going into this season as far as the, the division goes. So 
give the players credit for New Orleans. They stepped up when they needed to today. And, you know, it just, it really goes to show. You know, you got to play these games out because like Kevin and I had said last week, we both had Tampa winning this game very easily. But New Orleans proved us wrong. And I got to give them credit for that. So all in all, great performance from New Orleans in this game. And as far as Tampa's go, as far as Tampa goes, they're going to have to look at the film tomorrow and throughout the week. And they're going to have to learn from their mistakes because there were plenty of mistakes to pick apart from this game. Yeah, no, I mean, it was a very good game, obviously. Um, Tampa's got to do a lot better, but shout out to New Orleans, man. They did what they needed to do. They won at home, and obviously it was a very big, important, pivotal, divisional game, and they're a game behind. So who's to say that the Bucks have a solidified road to the repeat side? I mean, who's to say they don't, you know, have another good game coming up in a few weeks? So I think that the Saints really show that they can keep up with a competitive team like Tampa, and it goes to show that, you know, the powerhouse still resides in the NFC, truly. And it expands beyond the original teams that we had over the last couple of weeks. Well, and not only that, it's just, I think sometimes when you lose a huge monumental piece like Drew Brees, there's this instant reaction that that team is not going to be the same. There's going to be a step back. The team is going to be probably a regression or something. Yeah, exactly. The the team's going to be mediocre. At best, they might be average. You know, I think a lot of people were maybe saying that that the Saints would be somewhere around, you know, second place in the division. They may have had an outside shot to compete with Tampa, but I mean, halfway through the season, to be only one game behind Tampa and to potentially tie Tampa nine weeks into the season, I got to give them credit for that. So, you know, losing a piece like Drew Brees, that's huge, but they've been able to kind of rally around the team that they have and make these big games happen for them. But it's like I said earlier, this team is going to be tested without Jameis moving forward because Jameis had been playing pretty solid ball for them at the quarterback spot. And now that he's out for hopefully not the rest of the season, hopefully it's something that he can bounce back from later this year. But, bro, I I watched that play where Devin White dragged him down. It did not look good. And it didn't help that he got carted off the field and into the locker room after that. And Sean Payton even said it after the game, saying, that knee injury looked particularly significant as far as the initial results from their training staff. But, you know, I guess we'll find out more as the days come along with Jameis's status moving forward, but it, it doesn't look good for him. But with that said, we are going to transition into our next feature topic, which is going to be the Tennessee Titans defeating the Indianapolis Colts in overtime in one of the best divisional matchups that we saw from week eight. So Tennessee beat Indianapolis by the score of 34 to 31. This was a game where Tennessee really relied on Ryan Tannehill to kind of carry them to the promised land because Derrick Henry was relatively held in check in this game. He only had 68 yards rushing, but Ryan Tannehill was able to make some big plays through for 265 yards, had three touchdowns, did have a couple picks, but really kind of the standout wideout today was AJ Brown. He had a phenomenal day for Tennessee, he had 10 catches for 155 yards and a touchdown as well. And to flip it over to the Colts, while the Colts did lose this game, the Colts offensively, I thought, played pretty well. Carson had 230 yards passing, excuse me, 231 yards passing, three touchdowns, two interceptions, and then they were able to get some production from Jonathan Taylor on the ground. He only had 16 carries for 70 yards, but he also added a touchdown as well. So, Kevin, to kick this to you, 
with this AFC South matchup, the way that it played out, just how good was Tennessee in this win over Indianapolis? Um, guys, I'm warning you, obviously, at this point, this is an emotional side for me because this is my team, so this is going to get personal. Uh, we played like absolute shit, in my opinion. I mean, I know the score says 34 to 31, but we got bailed out a lot with a lot of penalties. Tennessee had 11 penalties for 161 yards. There were missed calls on both sides. I mean, the, the Colts were penalized for 75, was it 75 yards? I literally just had the damn screen up. 75 or 95, and obviously we're the fourth least penalized team in the NFL. So imagine my surprise to see us get penalized that many times. So it was 75 yards. But listen, I'm, I'm going to focus on one thing and one thing only. And I've been saying this for not only this season, but a lot of cult fans, shout out to the For the Culture podcast for consistently being honest and truthful. Everything that they've said about the Colts since Frank Reich and Chris Ballard have entered the front office in the coaching position. Frank has got to stop calling plays. Frank needs to, uh, he needs to cut it out. There is absolutely no reason he needs to be calling these plays. We have great weeks where we look absolutely unstoppable like we did in San Francisco, like we did in Houston. And then you go and you face the division leader, a uh, division rival, the person, the team that is in your way to achieve the championship goal that every team has in mind. A must-win game, in my opinion. And Frank completely flipping butchers it. I apologize. I just, it, it gets me so riled up just thinking about it because we had this game in multiple fronts. But Frank likes to outwit people. Frank and Aaron Boone really are very similar in certain ways where they have to overanalyze, overcoach, or, or try to do too much in scenarios they don't have to. In the sport of football, how you win, time of possession, no turnovers. We lost both of those battles. Jonathan Taylor, 16 touches. Carson went through the ball 51 times. Why does our quarterback need to throw the ball 51 times? Tell me why Carson Wentz needs to go and do that. We literally just needed to run the ball for a good portion of that second half, and we were going to score. They couldn't stop him. They could not stop him. He was averaging over four yards per carry. He was making the defense tired, and they were continuing to run nickel settings because we had to consistently run a spread offense because we were down for a good portion of the second half. We lost T.Y. Hilton. We lost freaking um, Paris Campbell last week. I mean, for God's sakes, Michael Pittman Jr. is getting 15, 20 targets a week. And he played almost every single snap because we had four active receivers in this game. And we lost T.Y. in the second quarter. So we were literally running Doolin, Pascal, and fucking Pittman every possible play. Exhausted. 51 attempts to Jonathan Taylor, 16. We do this every week where we forget we have the second leading rusher in the NFL, in our backfield, and a top five when healthy offensive line. But we have to outwit somebody. We have to go out there and we have to throw everything because he can out-scheme everybody. And by he, I mean Frank fucking Wright. Every week this is annoying. It's a, it's a sensitive point because it's just, it's a repetitive effect where we can be up where we can be right there, a tie game. We just need to go down the field, drain some clock, and score. But no, you had to try to outwit Tennessee's coach and Mike Vrabel, in which you looked stupid. Again, I'm not taking any of the blame away from Carson Wentz because he had a piss-poor game. 
in terms of turnovers. The interception in the end zone, absolutely stupid. He's been doing that shit since Philadelphia. Bro, when you get the rush, don't try to break every playoff into some extended, I can save us. No, you flicked it left-handed. You got picked off at the two, pick six. Absolutely stupid. The interception in overtime, you threw it to Michael Pittman, who was triple covered on the sideline. No idea where you thought he was because he was not open. You had Jonathan Taylor open in the middle of the field and Mo Cox open in the flat. But you chose to put it 25 yards down the field, knowing you're going to put Tennessee in field position if you make that throw. Carson Wentz also is very much to blame for this loss. But I have to just look at Frank Reich because I don't know why Jonathan Taylor didn't touch the ball in overtime. He maybe had one carry. There's no reason for the dominant running back that he is, the dominant offensive line that we have, and the trademark that we've made popular over the last two or three seasons since this line's been constructed together, run the damn ball, the RTDB, and we sit there and we're sitting 20 total rushing attempts. Derrick Henry by himself had 28. There's no reason for this inexcusable piss-poor play calling week in and week out. Frank Reich has been extended into 2026. I don't know if I'm going to make it through the season with my sanity because I'm literally watching it with my girlfriend's father saying, why are we not running the ball? Every, after every single play, why are we not running the ball? Why is Carson throwing a 51? I don't, it, I'm repeating myself because I need you to understand what goes to my mind during these games. It literally doesn't make sense. If we are weak in the receiving core, our receivers are gassed. I'm not making excuses, but you're running them into the ground, trying to beat Tennessee in the air when you're literally either throwing an incompletion or you're getting picked off or, or damn near picked off for that matter. I think somewhere alongside in the, in, in the overtime or towards the end of the fourth quarter, Carson went two for 12 in a, in a stretch of his last total 12 pass attempts. Why is Jonathan Taylor not fucking there? Is he invisible? Did he break a kneecap? Or, or, or did you just say, you know what, Mike Vrabel? I'm better than you. So I'm going to have my quarterback throw the ball 50 times because we can do that. We don't utilize Naeem Hines the way that we should be. We just gave him an extension for not only being our special teams captain or our special teams focal point, but our third down and, you know, our extended play calling they're just literally designed plays with Naeem Hines at the helm of plays designed to go to him. You know how many touches he had today? He had four. One rush, three catches. He was targeted five times. You're telling me the guy we just gave 20-some-odd million dollars to is only going to get five touches in a situation, in a win game, a must-win game. But Carson's going to throw the ball fucking 51 times. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. We literally held the beast that is Derrick Henry to 68 yards. Do you guys know what 68 divided by 28 is? That is 2.4 yards per carry. The NFL's leading rusher, the guy that everybody says is impossible to stop, we did. And we let Ryan fucking Tannehill beat us. And he played very well. I'm not disrespecting Tannehill. He did everything he needed to do. On a fourth down play, he ran for 13 yards, and he extended the drive. He made some great throws. He found the open receiver. A.J. Brown had a great game. No shade towards Tennessee. They deserve to win this game wholeheartedly outside of the fact that they were penalized for 161 yards, which is just beyond me. Mike Vrabel should make all of them run. But the point of the matter is 
The Colts do this every week where we legitimately look at ourselves in the mirror. And I feel like we have that stupid meme where like it's Jack, you Jack Phoenix, whatever the fuck his name is. Joaquin. Joaquin Phoenix is that, that, that funny thing where he's like pulling his face and he's putting paint on his face. We look like fucking clowns because we, every week, every, all the games we lose, we should have, we should have beat fucking, fucking LA. We should have beat the damn Ravens. And we just should have beaten the Titans. This was Carson's second chance at coming in here and saying, you know what? The first time you guys faced me, I barely had ankles. And we got embarrassed in Tennessee. You got embarrassed on your home field. And you guys should all be ashamed of yourselves. Shout out to Michael Pittman Jr. for going out there and basically playing every snap and bringing balls down he probably shouldn't have. The man is making Carson look incredible for a lot of bad throws. Now, I will give Carson credit. Our offense has expanded in terms of our ability to throw the ball down the field. He is extending the field with his arm strength. Now, some of them are underthrown. I don't know if they're strategically underthrown to get the corner to run into our receivers or if he's just genuinely throwing it up as a prayer. It doesn't make a difference because the ball is being moved down the field, whether that's Michael Pittman Jr. coming down with it or us getting a pass interference call. The ball's being moved, so I don't care how it's getting done. So I will give Carson Wentz that much credit because we do not have our entire receiving core and we're still finding ways to legitimately end up on their side of the field. But Frank Reich, I'm talking to you. Run the damn ball, son. There is no reason why Jonathan Taylor should have 16 touches for 70 yards and we're tied in the fourth quarter. And then we, we're, we're, we're down after Carson throws the interception. He runs the ball two times. On that whole drive, two times. I, I want to know what runs through your mind. I, at that point, you fucking go for two points. You, if you're going to fuck it up that bad in the overtime, go for the two points and I'll take the loss. If you're going to tell me in overtime you're going to get the possession twice, go three and out on one of them, go for the two-point conversion. I, I don't understand. Your play calling has been absolutely atrocious in crucial points of the season. I don't give a shit how smart you are, how many years you played in the league, what quarterback whisperer you are. You are literally making us look like buffoons by not running, arguably, a top five, top ten running back in this league. You're depriving him of statistical success. And you're depriving us of fucking wins. Do your job. Get your head out of your ass. And let's go play some football because now we are three games behind Tennessee with basically no chance of coming back unless they go on a damn seven-game skid. I'm done. I'm literally fucking I'm, – I'm, I'm pissed off, and it's just it's atrocious. There's no reason we should have lost this game. Damn, bro. I didn't know you were going to go at it like that. But listen, you know, you watched this game from beginning to end, and I was able to catch the highlights. and. One of the main takeaways that I had from this game was up until the end of the game, I thought that Carson actually had a decent game. Was he completing the majority of his passes? No, because he only completed about 55% of his passes today. But I thought that he was integrating the offense well. I thought he was getting the ball to his receivers that were actually out there as options. I thought Michael Pittman Jr. had a solid game, like you mentioned. He had 10 catches for almost 90 yards and two touchdowns, but Kevin, I'm going to completely agree with you. Why is Jonathan Taylor not getting more carries? This guy is one of the best up-and-coming running backs. I shouldn't even say that anymore. 
he is probably one of the best running backs in the league when he's actually given the ball. And I've told Kevin this time and time again, you have to feed that man. He can take you places, but you have to give him the football. And to your point, Kevin, this is an issue of play calling because I can't for the life of me figure out why is he not getting 20 plus 25 carries a game. Like, I I don't understand it. That guy can easily get 100 yards per game with the offensive line that they have, and they're just not utilizing him properly. And it just, I think that was really the main issue today. And, And Kevin, I mean, you know, the one thing that I will kind of take away from this game was before this game even started, last week we were both mentioning, you know, what would Indianapolis do defensively? to be able to slow down Derrick Henry. That was the main focal point, the point of emphasis that I think they were going to focus on as a defensive unit. And they did their job in that way. But it's like I said, if you're going to do that, that means Ryan Tannehill is going to have to beat you guys. And to a large extent today, outside of the first half, he did that. He was able to make some big third down conversions when they needed them. And he was able to get the ball out to his wideouts, specifically A.J. Brown, and make big plays happen. So when I look at the Colts, this was a game that they probably should have won, but they let it slip. And to give Tennessee credit, they were able to take those mistakes that Indianapolis made as a team and expose them for it. And they made it hurt. So even though that I didn't think that Tennessee had the best game overall, they made enough plays to get this win. In my mind, they are still currently the best team in the AFC South, and it's by particularly a wide margin at this point. You know, having a six and two record compared to the Colts who are sitting at three and five, I mean, that's a huge hole for Indianapolis to dig out of. And I don't think they're gonna be able to do it unless unless, like you mentioned, the Tennessee finds a way to get back into it. Uh, that that Tennessee goes on a skid here, but I don't really particularly see that happening. And yeah. This was a game that I think the Colts probably should have won, but it's really been kind of indicative of this team this year. When it comes to these end-of-the-game situations, they just can't make these big plays happen. Carson throws that overtime interception this week against Tennessee. A couple weeks ago against Baltimore, it was special teams issues where they just couldn't get the field goals that needed to get made, or they got blocked. It's always something with this team. And, I could be honest, Giving up 34 points at home to Tennessee, it's not a good look. 27. It was a pick six. Don't forget. I'm, I'm just saying. You know, no, oh, another thing, so when you, another when you look thing, at the scoreboard. It's like another thing. The, the Colts training staff needs to be fucking fired. Every week, somebody's getting destroyed somewhere. I mean, for God's sakes, T.Y. Hilton's been on the field for 10 seconds, and he's been out with three separate injuries. Holy shit. Between the neck and the quad and now the concussion or whatever the hell he had. Tyquan Lewis is out. We, 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 well, everybody's fucking hurt. Bro, it's like Oprah. See, you're hurt. You're hurt. You're fucking hurt. This is a trope. Every week it's something. Like, holy shit. It is ridiculous. There's, there's a cult down almost every quarter. Whether they come back or not, Kenny Moore was hurt at one point in this game. Fucking, um, uh, who else was hurt when I was just looking at it? Like, are you kidding me? Oh, Kari Willis is out. Like, the, 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 what is going on here? Can we get some professional trainers that can keep my players healthy, bro? Every week somebody's hurt or out for the goddamn year. 
We are so thin in so many positions on this team, and we are just literally looking at each other like, like the fucking pigeons from Nemo, like mine. Is it my fault, mine? Like, I don't fucking know, bro, but we need to do something because this is getting insane. We're about to play with fucking practice squad players and XFL players at this rate because we, 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 we don't have nobody. We got no depth anywhere. There's just there's injuries everywhere. I literally don't know what to do about it. And the fact that we're still in games shows that this team is good, bro. We have potential, but we literally do it to ourselves. And the unfortunate, the unfortunate injury bug just continues to plague the Colts this year. Paris Campbell, get the fuck off the team. T.Y. Hilton should have never been given $10 million to come back. The second that went double digits and he hasn't played a full season in four years, I would have said, I love you to the day I die. And T.Y., I do. You are one of the reasons why I remained a Colt fan because when we were hit that skid before Andrew and when we were going up and down and up and down, we made the playoffs, but it was just like, oh, my God, we can't win. You were a big reason why I just said, you know, this team is going to do something, man. Andrew Luck and T.Y. Hilton is a really magical connection, bro. Like, they are something special. And then I would have just said, yo, bro, you got to go. Baltimore, take them. $10 million? Bro, you haven't even played a whole game. You have been out this whole season. Paris Campbell, the, the upside with him is incredible. He hasn't stayed healthy. Every year it's one big surgery after another. I'm sorry. Shout out to Tyree at Ohio State. The kid had so much upside. He's got to go. And so many other players that I just can't even think of right now. That I'm just looking at saying, Chris, in terms of Chris Ballard, like, why, why are they on this team? What, what are we doing here? Loyalty signings like Kyle and I talked about off air. I get it. I respect it. I do. But in terms of winning football moves and decisions to bring players back, we are doing it to ourselves. God, I feel like that was a therapy session, Kevin. Bro, I'm mad, man. I don't understand what to do here. Every week I'm looking at this like, yo, we can do this. And then the next week is like, oh, my God, this is an embarrassment. Every single week. It's just a couple plays, my guy. That's what can define a game. And for the life of me, I, I, I can't understand Carson on that interception in overtime. I mean, that was particularly just an outrageous decision. I mean, the guy was throwing it to Michael Pittman, who was triple covered, yet he's got Moelle Cox on the flat. He's wide open. Jonathan Taylor, he's your check down back, and he's wide open. There's he's nobody got in 15, front of him. 20 yards of space. There's in nobody. Front of him. Like, like the safety's coming down, but the safety's still 10 yards away from him. I mean, at worst case scenario, Jonathan Taylor can make that catch and probably get a first down out of it. And if it's best case scenario, he may take that for. 20, 25 yards if he's able to break a tackle. The way that but, he runs the ball, God knows if he takes that to the house. I mean, I'm not saying he would have, but, you know. But, but, but it's like I said, Carson, at the end of the game, he just made some bad decisions. Outside of though, those two particular decisions, as far as the, the interception that led to the pick six and then the interception in overtime, I thought he had a relatively decent game. Was it his best game? No. But just... Making those to stay, making those mistakes at the most inopportune times, you can't have that. And this, I mean, this team, when it comes to the margin of error, it is very slim with this team because this team does have does have some upside. But if you're limiting turnovers, if you're not causing penalties, and you're playing a clean game, 
you know, that margin of error is a little bit wider. But when you're turning the ball over, you're making mistakes with penalties, you're making mental mistakes by not being in the right spot at the right time, then that margin of error gets so much slimmer. And we've seen in multiple games this season with the Colts that, yes, when they're humming, when they're hitting their strides, they're a good team. They could be a competitive team. But it's just these mistakes that this team makes at the worst times. That's why they're losing some of these games. It's like you said. They should have beaten the Ravens a couple weeks ago. Special teams failed them. In this one, I think their defense failed them. And Carson failed them. And Frank Reich for not being able to give Jonathan Taylor more carries. I think had they given Jonathan Taylor more carries in this game, I think this would have been a, this would have been a completely different scenario. And I think Colts fans, I think they're definitely frustrated. I know you definitely are with Frank's play calling at this point, but this was a game where I think it really showed 51 pass attempts and 16 carries for Jonathan Taylor. You got to be better than that. Jonathan Taylor should be at least getting 25 carries a game. Damn near 30. I know Carson could still fling it, but you got to have more balance. And today they were not balanced. And- Fun stat fact for you guys. In the Reich era, era he has blown a double-digit lead four or five times since he's been the head coach. That is more than I think our previous three coaches together. Well, actually, no, I take that back. Pagano had a couple too. Uh, Pagano had, I think, three or four. But in terms of like Jim Caldwell, Tony Dungy and all that stuff, like that, that rarely ever happens. And with Frank Reich, we're literally every season, twice this season, where we're blowing double-digit leads. For God's sakes, we're up 14 nothing. Mm-hmm. Halftime was 17-14 us. And in Baltimore, we what was it, 22 to 6, 23 to 9, or some shit like that? We're was, double it, digit. It was 25 to 9 in the fourth quarter. It, it, you can't make these things up, man. It's consistency, but on the wrong side of the football in terms of we're consistently making mistakes. You consistently are supposed to not make mistakes. But the only thing consistent with the Colts is the, 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 the turnovers and injuries. That's the only thing consistent this year. And that's where they're sitting at their app, my guy. I really don't I wanna, want to. I want to go to bed. <laughs> I want to go to bed. I'm so angry. <sighs> how can you go to angry? How, how can you go to bed when you're angry? Because you I don't. Stay up all night I, I, at that point. I, I I don't. Even since I was little, when I get like hot, like angry, I just try to sleep it off. I don't know why the fuck I just spit the ocean out of my mouth. That was disgusting. Excuse me. Um, but yeah, no. Since since I was little, bro, when I get super heated, I just go to sleep. Yeah, I feel that. It's Sometimes weird. It's just, no, it's just you just you got to get the energy out somehow, some way. And if you just want to, you know, head to your room and just try to cool off that way, I mean, that might be the best way to do it. So I feel that. You ain't lying, but let's get to the next topic before I give myself a damn heart attack. Okay. So up next, we are going to go over the Patriots and the Chargers game. So the Patriots went on the road and had a pretty surprising road win over the Los Angeles Chargers, beating them by the score of... 27 to 24. This is a game that Kevin and I had discussed about possibly having as a segment last week. Uh, we decided to shelve it just because I thought, and we thought that the Chargers were going to win this game relatively easily. They were coming off of a bye, and we thought that there would be a pretty solid chance that the Chargers would try to get back on track after getting absolutely destroyed by the Ravens the week before they went into their bye, but they have lost two games in a row, and 
I got to give credit to New England for making some plays today, especially in the second half. They made some great second half adjustments, and they were really able to limit that Los Angeles Chargers offense to realistically only three points for most of the third and fourth quarters. They did, the Chargers did get a late touchdown to close the gap to three points with about a minute or two left in the game. But by that point, the Patriots had that game well in hand in that moment of the, the game. But Kevin, to kick this to you, just how surprising was this win that the Patriots had over the Chargers? I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm shocked, like, whoa. But, like, it's definitely, like like you said, we did not think this was possible. So it's definitely like a kind of help tilt, kind of like a, really? Did that just happen? Um, I'm looking at both teams right now, and I'm saying, wow, like, this could have went either way. I mean, granted, New England wins the turnover battle, so that's why they, in large part, won this game. But when you look at them, at when you look at teams as a whole, I mean, they both ran the ball very well. They both had over 100 yard, 125 yards rushing. Uh, Mac Jones had an efficient night. He didn't throw a touchdown, but he also did not turn the ball over. But then on the opposite side, I mean, Justin Herbert, they had literally identical attempts and completions in terms of 18 of 35, except the difference was Herbert threw two picks. It's actually creepy, that, but, but both of them legitimately went 18 for 35 and threw for almost the exact same amount of yards. It's actually really, really creepy. Um, but I, like, like I said, the difference was the fact that Herbert was sacked three times. He, got, he had two picks. And then, you know, Mac Jones played a pretty, a pretty flawless football game in terms of, you know, keeping the ball away from the other team. I mean, Damian Harris continues to have a very consistent year running the ball, uh, 80 yards and a touch. Uh, Justin Jackson led the way this, uh, this, uh, this week for the Chargers with uh, 79 yards. But, I mean, like, to circle a specific number where New England needs to improve is going to be that rush defense. I mean, with just 20 attempts, the Chargers ran all over the Patriots for 163 yards and a touchdown. That's 8.2 yards per carry. That's almost an entire first down every time someone touches the ball in terms of an average. So I'm looking at New England and I'm saying, well, damn, can they make a push into the AFC in terms of trying to compete for a playoff spot? Maybe. Um, In terms of receiving, I mean, like I said, Mac Jones only had 218, but I feel like he distributed the ball very, very effectively. I mean, pretty much almost everybody that he threw to got a touch. Um, And it did look pretty well. I mean, Nelson Aguilar had a couple. Kendrick Bourne had a couple. Kyle's favorite player, Nikhil Harry, had a couple. And then, you know, you really go out there and you look at the Chargers. And, I mean, once again, you know, everybody knows that Justin Herbert can put the ball in the right place, but it just was not enough to combat the New England Patriots. I mean, the the summary says it. The fourth quarter, the Pats scored 11 points. uh, The Chargers scored seven. And, you know, for the most part, it was a close game back and forth. But I'm circling the Chargers because they started off so hot this year. And they're on a skid now. They're coming off a bye. They go and they have a home game against a very winnable team in New England. And then they go and cough this up. And they're now 4-3. and three, And they're looking on the outside now to the uh, Las Vegas Raiders at 5-2 and two, saying, whoa, wait a minute. Like, we were, we were in this. And obviously, you know, uh, Vegas is on a bye this week. So they still have an opportunity to get within a game. But typically teams with young quarterbacks like this that go on these little bumps, it's a uh, – I don't want to say a sophomore slump, Kyle. Correct me if I'm wrong. But – I feel like Justin Herbert is starting to realize the adversity of remain. Like it's hard to stay consistent like he was so early on, but we will see how they kind of bounce back from this. But again, kudos to the Patriots for making life a living hell for Justin Herbert, getting the dub that improves them to three and O away, which is pretty impressive for a rookie quarterback. And new England just shows that they were able to get it done in the, in, in prime time, not prime time, but you know what I mean? 
So I was kind of surprised by the result between the Patriots and the Chargers in this game, simply because I thought that the Chargers were going to be able to bounce back in a big way after they had taken that really bad loss to Baltimore before their bye week a couple of weeks back. And I had faith that Justin Herbert was going to be able to expose this New England Patriots defense, which has been suspect throughout certain times of the season so far. But I was proven wrong. And I got to give a lot of credit for the Patriots being able to rally together and get one of the biggest wins for them that they've had this entire season. The Chargers are a good team. And this is probably their first quality win of the entire season. And doing it on the road, you got to give a lot of kudos for the Patriots for being able to pull this off. I really thought that this game flipped late in the second half when Adrian Phillips was able to get a big pick six off of Justin Herbert. And this is when the Chargers were marching down the field. They were up 17 to 16 in that point of the game. And that pick six really set them behind the eight ball. And then the Patriots were able to get that two-point conversion on top of it after to make it a seven-point game. And the Chargers weren't able to get anything consistently at the end of the game unless you're accounting for that one garbage-time touchdown that cut the deficit from 10 points to three points with only like a minute and a half left in the game. So New England made some really good second-half adjustments when I really look back at this game because the Chargers in the first half, they were getting some good offensive drives throughout the first half, but... In the second half, they just couldn't get much going offensively whatsoever. But you focus on New England. Their defense stepped up when it when they needed to. I thought Mac and the offense, they were good in spurts. But to me, the biggest drive that they had of the entire game was with about eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. And they end up getting a field goal to push it to a 10-point lead. But it was a possession that took six minutes off the clock. And to be able to make it a two-possession game with chewing up that much time at the end of the game, that's big for Mac Jones because Mac is still getting comfortable with what's, what it's like in the NFL. And he was able to come up with some big plays specifically on that drive to keep the clock chewing up and extending their lead at the end of the drive. Granted, it didn't result in a touchdown, but it was enough to get them to a two-possession lead. Granted, the Chargers did get a touchdown to cut it to a one-possession game. But the Patriots got that onside kick, and that was pretty much it. So when I look at the Patriots, it's a huge win. They continued their success on the road this season. They're sitting at 4-4 four and four in a division where clearly the Bills are one step ahead of them. But I got to be honest with you, Kevin. Granted, I'm a Patriot fan here. But I was really surprised at how well the Patriots played against the Chargers. And I really, I really got to say with the Chargers right now, Man, they're really kind of going through that midseason bump right now because they started out so hot and they were sitting at the top of the AFC West right alongside the Vegas Raiders and then losing these last two games in the manner that they have. Granted, they got destroyed by the Ravens before their bye week, but to lose this one at home, which was a very winnable game against the Patriots, this one's going to sting a little bit for the Chargers. But all in all, a great performance from New England. This was really... I thought one of the best coaching performances that we've seen from Bill Belichick and the coaching staff all season. They were able to make Justin Herbert uncomfortable throughout most of the day. And sometimes that's just enough to get him off of his spot and force some errant passes or just force him to make some plays that he's just not going to make a lot happen out of. So great win for the Patriots. 
And with the Chargers, they just got to go back to the drawing board and figure this out because, man, they're letting this AFC West slip to the Vegas Raiders if they keep it up like this. Yeah, it's it's definitely not a joke. I mean, we're getting to that point now. I know we're just about the halfway mark. If not, depending on who you ask, we might be just over the halfway mark because, you know, week eight, odd number or whatever. Um, I'm very curious to see how L.A. is going to bounce back because, like I said, my biggest concern is with young quarterbacks that go through skids like this after having a lot of early success tend to kind of hit that 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 wall that we see so many quarterbacks at that age have and where they're just kind of like in their own head saying, Damn it! Can I bounce back? Can I? Can this team succeed? Can I lead this team? And I mean, Justin Herbert has no lack of confidence for sure. Uh, not that I've seen anyway. But I'm just looking at it, saying, "Well, damn! Um, you know, the Chargers had a pretty handed—not lead, but a, a pretty handed control of the AFC West, at least alongside the Raiders. That now that they're slipping past, I don't know if they're going to try to force too much to happen, or if they're going to put Justin Herbert in winnable situations." So I think they're going to really have to lean on the running game between Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson because it showed today 20 attempts over 160 yards. Granted, a lot of that came off of one big run by Justin Jackson, but it showed that they can run the football and that that offensive line can create some separation. So take some stress off of the young quarterback, create that play action, let your big receivers go out there and make some plays. And I mean, for God's sakes, I don't know if it's something in the water this week in the NFL, but there's a lot of situations where receivers just are genuinely not expecting the ball to come to them. And there are a lot of pick sixes going around the damn league right now. So, yeah. or should I say game-winning interceptions? Because it happened in Arizona on Thursday with A.J. Green, and now it happened with freaking – what's his name again? I have him on my fantasy team, but I just – oh, Jared Cook just wasn't paying attention. So uh, and, and, only, Brady, er, and Brady. And Brady, too. Oh, and Brady, too. Brady yeah, got, it's, yeah, so. uh, t- only time will tell. But, again, a very shocking game, but a very good game overall. No, I thought it was one of the, the best games that week eight had the feature. And I mean, it went right down to the end. I mean, you know, this was a game that I thought the Chargers were going to win handily. You know, I don't know if they were going to be win by two possessions necessarily, but I thought they were going to get a bigger bounce back performance after their bye week. And it just didn't happen. So, you know, it really kind of goes to show, though, you know, Bill Belichick against some young quarterbacks, he still is able to dial up some good performances to kind of get those young quarterbacks off their spots. And, you know, you got to give a lot of credit to the defense. You know, they were able to step up in the second half, slow down that Chargers offense for the most part, and it gave Mack and the offense enough to work with to get the job done. So you got to give the Patriots some credit. This was a big win for them. And apparently they just like winning games on the road and apparently not at home. And I don't really understand that, but they're still winning games and that's, you know, that's, you know, for me as a Patriot fan, you know, I'll definitely take that any day of the week. So with that said, we will transition into our honorable mentions of week eight. So very similar to what we've done in the past seven weeks, Kevin and I will go over a game or two that we think is worthy of mention outside of our featured topics. And Kevin, I'm going to kick this to you. What is your honorable mention for week eight in the NFL? So this week, I'm going to stay true to, you know, my girlfriend's family and that fan base that is the Philadelphia Eagles. Obviously, we do know that they played the 0-7 Lions at the time. Um, They are one of the, not worst teams in the league, but they're not one of the best. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to be nice here. But uh, we all know that Philadelphia has tons of room for improvement, obviously, with Carson Wentz coming to Indianapolis. Jalen Hurts having a full season under his belt. There's a lot of skepticism around Nick Sirianni and his ability to call um, the offense, let alone be a head coach. I mean, for God's sakes, 
he made the comparison that the team was like a plant that they needed to nurture in a presser this week that just sounded absolutely atrocious. I mean, he talked about manure and watering the plant and the team as a whole needs to be nurtured. And I don't know, it was just funny as hell. And, and, and me and my girlfriend's dad were legitimately cracking up all week talking about it, making fun of it. But they came to play today. Philadelphia wins 44-6. to Jalen Hurts played eh. He had nine total completions, but it really wasn't about Jalen Hurts in reality. The Philadelphia Eagles were able to absolutely annihilate the, the Lions in terms of controlling the time of possession as well as being able to move the line of scrimmage. They had 236 rushing yards with four touchdowns. Jordan Howard looked absolutely incredible. Boston Scott looked good. Jalen Hurts looked good. I mean, pretty much anybody that was given the ball to run outside of Kenneth Gainwell, who had a pretty abysmal night, I mean, in terms or pretty abysmal afternoon. 13 times, 13 rushes, 27 yards, 2.1 per carry. Not the greatest, but they got the job done. Defense looked great. They had about four or five sacks. Um, again, they found a way to make plays happen. The defense forced a turnover, and Darius Slay, ironically enough, got the fumble recovery touchdown. Obviously, for those of you that aren't aware, Darius Slay is the quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles, who played for the Detroit Lions for seven seasons prior to being traded to Philly. So his coming home or his return to Detroit was a little bit on the irony side with him scoring on his first game back in Detroit. So I'm not going to look too much into this and say that the Eagles are on their way up. But for a team that needs a win like this, for a team that needs to build confidence, and for a team that has struggled to run the football pretty much every single week, um, this was a good coming out. I mean, 46 total rushes, absolutely incredible. They spread the ball around very equally and very uh, simple. So – as long as you're going to do that and create some good play action for Jalen Hurts to make his life a little easier. Again, Jalen's got to improve upon his vision downfield. I mean, he only threw the ball a total of 14 times, so he completed a, uh, completed a total of nine, like I said. 103 yards in the air. He didn't really need to do a lot since the line of scrimmage was just being dominated by the running game. But on the Detroit side, I mean, you heard the fans if you watched the game. It was just it, – it, it was bad all around. They could not get the ball moving whatsoever. Jared Goff was just – it did not look consistent. Um, some of the play calling looked questionable at best. And then the defense was just – it basically left the, the Red Sea open for those of you that like those Bible references. But, you know, shout out to Philly. They beat a bad team, which is exactly what you're supposed to do. But they did it in a dominant fashion. So kudos to them. And, uh, yeah, Detroit needs some help. <laughs> yeah, they're going to need much more than a preacher to, to get this team back into alignment because, what, they're sitting at what? Owen Owen seven. Eight. Owen eight. Sorry, I give them too much credit. But um for my honorable mention, we are gonna go over the Jets pulling off probably one of the biggest upsets oh, yeah. of the entire week against the Cincinnati Bengals. Mike White, their backup <laughs> quarterback to Zach Wilson, looked like goddamn Tom Brady out there today. He completed 37 of 45 passes for 405 yards and three touchdowns. Who would have thought that Mike White would be the guy to carry the Jets to the promised land? Because the Jets have looked like a dumpster fire the entire year with Zach Wilson at the helm. And Mike White comes into the starting role today and ends up carrying the Jets to probably the biggest win that they will have of the entire season. Cincinnati's a really good team this year. And coming into this game, they were 5-2. and two, And I pretty much booked it that they were going to be 6-2 after this week. Well, I was proven wrong because Mike White looks like he's like the next GOAT coming out after Tom Brady. Because with this performance, all I'm going to say is Zach Wilson might need to like 
look at his situation as far as his starting role goes. Because if Mike White keeps playing like this, I don't know why I would give the starting job back to Zach Wilson. Because when I look at this stat line here, Mike White was able to hit 10 targets in this game. 10. I don't think Zach Wilson has really been able to hit more than like six. So the, the passing distribution that Mike White had with his targets today, it was phenomenal. And I'm just looking at this team as a whole. The Jets are not that good. You know, we, we all know that. But I got to give them credit. They came out in that second half and they gave it to the Bengals, specifically in the fourth quarter. They scored 17 points in the fourth quarter, and they were able to make the plays happen when it mattered the most to get them this win. And Kevin, I just I'm literally stunned at this result because the Jets are probably going to have more likely a top five, definitely a top ten draft pick by the end of the year. But I was no way, shape, or form expecting this type of win against Cincinnati. I thought Cincinnati would win this game by potentially 10 or 14 points. But Give New York credit for this one week. I'm going to give them one week of praise. And this is going to be the one because after this, I don't know if it's going to continue. But getting this win over the Cincinnati Bengals, you got to give some credit to the Jets on this one. And I think a lot of the praise should really be given towards Mike White. He came into that starting role today, replaced an injured Zach Wilson, and he was able to dice up that Cincinnati defense, which is... Not a defense that's too particularly bad. They're actually a solid defensive unit, but 34 points against Cincinnati, give them credit, man. This is definitely an honorable mention in my case. Yeah, I mean, obviously the Jets being one of the worst teams in the NFL, obviously we have given our feedback slash opinion on what we think Zach Wilson is or will be in this league. And Kyle and I believe very strongly that that was a stretch of a pick. Um, it's been proven in all of these NFL games. I mean, for the most part, Zach Wilson just continues to just not only make mistakes, but he just does not look like he has the ability to lead this team. Um, experience aside, Robert Sala, we all know, is a good and well-renowned coach. So coaching probably isn't the issue here. Uh, maybe you can make it a personnel issue. But like Kyle said, if, if Mike White, the future GOAT, is able to go out and lead this team with a AFC-leading Cincinnati Bengals and an MVP candidate in Joe Burrow, in New York, there is absolutely zero reason why Zach Wilson can't because there's no difference in personnel here. It's literally the same team, different quarterback. So I think that speaks volumes, um, not only to Mike's playing ability, but also the coaching ability that is Robert Sala. He was able to make it do. He was able to make do with a backup, and he got the win against a very good team. So, I mean, shout out to, shout out, shout out to the Jets and Robert Sala. You know what's funny? So I do this pool with my family where we just pick the games you know, for every week. Yeah. And I think, I think the suicide I, and I think if I remember right, I think for this game in particular with the Jets and the Bengals, I think the fan vote was like 95 to five in favor of the Bengals in this game. Like it wasn't even particularly close, you know, just because the Bengals have been on fire the entire season, but I don't know where the Jets pulled this one out of their ass, but they were able to make it happen and provide probably one of the biggest upsets that we'll see all season. So I got to give the Jets some credit in, in this game. I don't know if it's going to last. You know, they're sitting at two and five, so they've been subpar to say the least this year. But no, for this game, they deserve a little bit of price. Yeah, they, 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 they did what they needed to do. They beat a good team. 
And they did it convincingly. Obviously, it wasn't like a blowout or anything, but they were able to go out there and play competitive as if they were a consistently good football team. So big kudos to them. Yeah, exactly. So up next, we are going to focus on the Chiefs and Giants game, but we're going to focus on some of the things that were said. What's up? I'm giving you the mojo of of oh. how I popped <laughs> off because I know that this agitates the shit out of you. So guys, you know I've been popping off the last couple of segments. Uh, it's Kyle's turn to give his little, uh, little his little flex on him. Let him know, Kyle. Okay, so this was this took place last week. So had we found out that this took place before our episode last week, we would have done we would have covered this. But unfortunately, I think this came the day that we released our episode last week. So we are going to focus on some chatter that some of the Chiefs players had with a fan account on Instagram. So the Chiefs have a, have multiple fan accounts. Like there are just a lot of Instagram pages that are just devoted to focus on one particular team. And this one was a Chiefs fan account where they were going over some of the bad decisions that their general manager had made this prior offseason. And one of the points that they had made in this Instagram post was saying that Anthony Hitchens, who was a linebacker for the Kansas City Chiefs, his five-year contract this past offseason that was signed was one of the more bad decisions that the Chiefs front office made this offseason. Well, Anthony Hitchens didn't take too kindly to that post, and he responded. And he responded by saying, and I'm quoting this here, all we did was go to three AFC Championship games and two Super Bowls and one Super Bowl win. In my first three years here so far, y'all fans will never be satisfied and it's sad. And then not only did he chime in, also Tyron Matthew, who's one of the defensive stalwarts on the Kansas City Chiefs. He also chimed in by agreeing with Hitchens by saying, big facts, this might be one of the most toxic fan bases in all of sports. So this did not go over particularly well throughout the weekend. Tyron Matthew did apologize for his comments I imagine some, I think it was on Saturday that he made a, a small apology to, to what he said in regards to the Chiefs fans. So, Kevin, I'm going to kick this to you. Just what do you make of the situation with Anthony Hitchens calling out the Kansas City Chiefs fan base this past weekend? Well, I know that Kyle's going to disagree with me here, but I will give them maybe like a 1%, maybe a half a percent, 2%. I don't know. I don't necessarily disagree with this statement. Some fans, especially successful fan bases, at least over the last couple of years, can be very spoiled. They can be very quick to rush into judgment. They can be very opinionated. They can be very rude and and cruel and harsh or whatever, right? Um, I think that some of these fans need to calm down with their breakdown of these teams. Again, I'm not necessarily saying that what Hitchens – or Hitchinson, or whatever the hell his name is, and Tyron Matthew are um, are right. But when you have the success that the Chiefs have had over the last three years, legitimately, like the fans, like like Hitchens said, three AFC championships, two Super Bowl appearances should have been three, but you know, like D Ford lined up offsides. Um, you legitimately look at the success of the Chiefs and you say, wow, like they have achieved a lot more than a lot of people thought they would have when Patrick Mahomes became the starting quarterback. But again, 
they have had such success that to see them struggle in the manner that they are now, I look at it like, wow, like, you're sitting here talking shit. Like, we didn't just go to Super Bowls. Like, we didn't just win a Super Bowl for the first time in, like, 50 years. Like, we don't have the best quarterback in football. We don't have one of the greatest coaches in NFL history. So we're three and four this year. We're not doing the greatest. We're, we're, we're having a hard time. Are we out of it? Are we winless? Are we not still the Chiefs? Are we not still the defending AFC champions? No, the, you are. And I think that some of these fans need to cool it, man. Teams are allowed to slump. Are you allowed to be upset as a fan? I mean, for God's sakes, I just wanted to rant about my team. But my team isn't coming off of a successful three-year period. Teams are allowed to have a dip. Teams are allowed to have a bad year. But fan bases like the Chiefs and, you know, like the Knicks and all of these big fan bases, they don't like to hear it. You know, they just want constant success. But I actually regress what I just said. Kansas City's market is nowhere near in the frame of New York and Philadelphia and all these big things. So now putting into this side of the players, I think this is absolutely soft. You're, you're, You're literally looking at this and you're getting triggered by a fan page. Not a sportscaster, even though it shouldn't make a difference who it is. But it's nobody relevant. It's nobody important. It's nobody's opinion that makes, uh, you know, that, that, that because they say this, that's not going to affect your paycheck or your income or your play on the field. Oh, Sally made fun of me on the playground, so I don't want to talk to Sally anymore. Like, this is literally some childish shit. You are a grown individual man that plays in the NFL. You should not give two shits what a fan page says. Tyron Matthew jumping in there and saying what he said. Obviously, he apologized for it. It doesn't make his image look any better either. But you're both on the defensive side of the ball. Patrick Mahomes is making mistakes on the offensive side. But to focus on you guys, you guys can't stop a cold. You guys can't stop a nosebleed. For God's sakes, I don't even know if you stop a paper cut. Like, you are averaging 30-plus points per game allowed on your side of the football, and you're literally bitching about a fan who made a freaking opinionated page? Woohoo! Cry me a river. You're being paid millions of dollars to play a sport, and you are not doing your job effectively. Of course fans are going to have to say some shit. Of course fans are going to come out of their face and say some outlandish stuff, especially when you play this bad. But again, I'm not trying to play devil's advocate, but some of these fans can be out of pocket, forgetting that these people are human, and they, they, they can end up playing bad. They can have a bad game or a bad season. But, you know, I, I don't think that these NFL players should pay a lot of mind to it. I think that that shows a lot of the generational focus or should I say you know like the generational sensitivity because back in the day not one single person in the 70s 80s are going to give two shits what a reporter says about them because that has no effect on their play on the field so um I mean Kyle I know you definitely are a little bit more strongly opinionated on this particular matter so I'm just going to hand it over to you bro okay so there's multiple issues that I have with Anthony Hitchens and Tyron Matthew going at the fans in this particular instance. And the reason why is because they're playing on the defensive side of the ball. And it is clear as day to me that the Kansas City Chiefs, their defense is utterly horrendous this year. Outside of two games, they have given up damn near 30 points in every game that they played defensively. They gave up 36 to the Ravens in week two. They gave up 30 to the Chargers in week three. They gave up 30 to the Eagles in week four. They gave up 38 to the Bills in week five. And then last week against the Tennessee Titans, they damn near gave up 30. I mean, hell, in the first week of the season, they damn near near gave up 
30 points against the Cleveland Browns. Their defense is literally just wide open to be picked apart left and right. And Tyron Matthew and Anthony Hitchens, they both play on that side of the ball. I don't want to hear any of them talk about, oh, the fans, you know, they're soft and they're being toxic based on what they're saying about us. Damn right that they should be talking about you because their defensive unit has been utterly trashed this year. The Kansas City Chiefs, they've been one of the best, if not the best team to roll with the last three years. It's like Anthony Hitchens had mentioned in that post. Been to three AFC Championship games, been to two Super Bowls, have been to one have one Super Bowl win. That is the expectation that the team has now set upon itself and that the fans are coming to expect from you. And this year has been subpar, to say the least. They're sitting at a 3-4 and four record, and people are looking at this team on whether or not that they could get back to that championship-caliber expectation that everybody had for them at the beginning of the season. And Anthony Hitchens and Tyron Matthew going on Instagram to bitch about what a fan account has to say about them should not mean two shits to them. As far as I'm concerned... Throw away your phone, don't even look at it, and focus on the playbook. Go in the, go in the film study and learn what you need to fix as far as the defense goes because up until this point, they have given up over like 230 points as a unit. That is like top three worst in the NFL. They can't get a pass rush to save their life. They average one sack as a defensive unit. And they're giving up damn near 400 to 450 yards a game from opposing offenses. So, should the fans chime in about how bad this team has been so far this year? Absolutely. Can they go over the top with it sometimes? Yes, they can. I don't think they did in this specific instance. I think that Anthony Hitchens and Tyron Matthew, they were a little thin-skinned. And they reacted to something that they should have never touched in the first place. Why are you focusing on what people on Instagram have to say? You're a professional athlete getting paid millions of dollars to go out there and make plays happen for your defense. And so far this year, you guys have been playing like shit. And the fans are taking notice of it. And if they got something to say towards you about that, then you better take that in stride and roll with the punches. Because as far as I'm concerned, they're right. And they have every right to call you out and criticize the effort that you guys are giving on a weekly basis, because at this point, they've been horrendous defensively, and it's having an impact on the team to a larger extent as well. It's putting a lot more pressure on Patrick Mahomes and that offense to be able to succeed as a unit because they know good and damn well that if you guys aren't able to stop them, it's putting all the pressure back on them to try to tie the game or get back into the game because you're putting the offense in such a bad hole from the start. So God forbid you guys lose to the Giants this week. If you guys lose to the Giants on Monday night and the Giants suck, if you give up 20 points against this Giants team, oh, like if you think I'm bad now, just wait because this team sucks. I talk about the Giants here. So Tyron Matthew Anthony Hitchens, get your heads out of your asses, get off of your phone, and get into the film room and learn what the issues are with this defense because they are sorry. As a defensive unit, they are sorry. They should know it by now, and if they're deflecting blame towards the fans at this point, that is just soft. It's weak. It needs to be called out upon, and I've had enough with it. Go out there and do what you're supposed to do. 
You guys are being paid millions of dollars to make plays happen, and you're not doing it. Just step it up, get your heads out of your asses, and keep it moving. Because the Chiefs should not be sitting at three and four. This team should be five and two, probably six and one with how good this team is. But it's because the defense can't stop a parked car or a cold to save their life. And that's all I got to say about it. I've had enough with this. You have pissed off one of the biggest fan bases in all of sports in the New York Knicks. And you are now targeting the Kansas City Chiefs in terms of their softness. So I would like to say kudos to you for not being scared of these fans. No, we I don't welcome care about the challenge. We want the smoke. We like it. And uh, yeah, um, Kansas City Chiefs fans, what, what, if you guys have something to say, let us know. No, when when the fans were going no. at when the fans were going at Kansas City, I thought that they were justified. Like when it came to the Knicks a couple of weeks ago, that was a little bit different because I thought the Knicks fans were out of pocket. This is a situation where I think Kansas City Chiefs fans are in the right for criticizing this team because. It's well-deserved that this defense needs to get criticized. They have not played well. And if Tyron Matthew and Anthony Hitchens have a problem with that, that's on them. It's a reflection upon them. They're not getting it done on the field. If they got a problem with people calling them out on it, I think that's soft. Like, why are you paying any attention to this whatsoever? It's social media. People chime in whatever they want to say about it anyway. We do that. And not only that, you're giving us more time to talk about this when really all we want to do is focus on the upcoming game that's going to be between the Chiefs and the Giants. But no, they want to be soft. They want to get thin-skinned because, oh, some social media account said some mean things about them. Oh, I can't handle it because this this fan base is toxic. And because someone said something mean to me, they need to be called out for it. I'm like, bro, you get paid millions of dollars. Like, bro, like, why are you caring what they say? They can say whatever they want. You're actually going out there on the field to make things happen. So go out there and make things happen so they can actually be behind your corner instead of against you. Because are they wrong? Are the fans wrong for calling out this defensive unit? They've played like trash. So I'm just I'm just saying, you can make a point about, oh, the fans can be over the top. It, yes, they can. Absolutely. But I think in this instance, no, I think the fans are right. I got no issue with this. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, again, uh, agree to disagree to a certain extent, but, you know, there is a game that needs to be called that is, you know, coming up on Monday, which is going to be the Kansas City Chiefs against the New York Giants. Um, the New York Giants will be without their star running back, Saquon Barkley, once again. So, I mean, this literally furthers Kyle's point of saying if you lose to the Giants, there is an issue. Um they have been rattled with injuries as well. I mean, Daniel Jones has been hurt a couple of times. Kenny Galladay has been hurt. Uh, Kadarius Tony, their first-round pick from the University of Florida, is expected to be back, but he's coming off of an injury as well. So you're looking at this Chiefs team and you're saying, if you can't beat up a bad Giants team, let alone a Giants team that is injured, it is just not boding well and it's not looking good for you as an organization. So, Kyle, I pose the question to you. What do you believe the outcome to this game will be and why? Well, what should happen is that the Chiefs should win by two touchdowns. And I'm being nice here. The Chiefs need to get this win more ways than one because the Chiefs have played subpar this year so far. Offensively, they had their worst game of the year against Tennessee last week. I mean, they scored three points for God's sakes. And this is an offense that's led by Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and Travis Kelsey. And Tennessee did not have that good of a defense to come into that game. 
and to only be held to three and to be held to three points against Tennessee, that's embarrassing. So when it comes to the Chief <clears throat> Chiefs offense, they need to put up at least 30 points in this game for me to be satisfied. Because the Chiefs have just played so underwhelming throughout the entire year. And God forbid they lose this game because I'm not going to have it if they do. You know, and I'm looking at that defense. That defense has looked suspect the entire year. They have played multiple games where they've given up 30 points, if not close to 30 points in most games throughout the entire season. And they're giving up like 400 to 450 yards of offense to opposing teams. So you're going up against a New York Giants team that is just battered with injuries on the offensive side of the ball. The Chiefs should not give up more than 20 points in this game. This is at home. The Chiefs need this win to kind of get back on track to be somewhat of a force in the AFC West because at this point they've looked rather anemic or inept, you know, about halfway through the season. But I got to see a spark from this team. I don't know who's going to provide it, but this team needs a spark. It just needs a jump start. And hopefully this is one of those games where they could finally get it because, man, if they struggle against the Giants in this Monday night matchup, you could really kind of start saying, man, is this season just not going to happen for the Chiefs? It's kind of trending that way already. And if they struggle against the Giants in this one, then it really kind of goes that full-blown. Maybe it's just not their year this year. But I don't expect that to be the case. I expect Kansas City to roll through this game. I think the offense is going to get their heads out of their asses from last week. I think the defense is going to definitely step up in this game. And I think it will be a well-rounded win for Kansas City. I think they win this one relatively by a wide margin. I'm going to say they win this one 34 to 20, maybe 34 to 17. I really kind of seeing it as that big of a margin when it's all said and done. So I'm going to agree. And I'm going to say, this is the week that Kansas City needs to capitalize. Um, This Giants football team is not very good. Uh, They did get a win last week, so I'm not going to discredit that they beat a – who did they beat last week? Beat a random team. They beat a random team. The Giants got a victory last week, so I'm not going to say that they are completely useless or hopeless in any way, but I do want to say that we do know that they have some capabilities. Daniel Jones has flashes of success in certain aspects and that Kadarius Toney showed – a couple of weeks back that he can be a focal point in this offense. Supposedly he will also uh, play some special teams, which is what he is known for, at least what he was known for back in college of Florida. Um, they're moving some pieces around. They're trying to find ways to change this up. Joe Judge is a good coach, but when you just look at it on paper and personnel-wise, Patrick Mahomes against this team should not even be close. It should really be a complete annihilation of the uh, New York Giants. But – I can't say anything because we thought that they would not blow the Titans out, but at least score more than three points. So I'm not going to sit here and say that the Chiefs are definitely going to win, but they should. That being said, if the Giants come out of nowhere and upset the Chiefs, which should not happen in like life or history, it's not a sentence that should make sense. But if it does happen, I truly and honestly believe the Chiefs could be done. It's just not looking good. Pat doesn't look like himself. We've already stated the defense is atrocious. Pretty embarrassing, actually, when you think about it statistically, about how many points they give up and how many yards they're giving up per game. So we will only we, we will see what happens. But my prediction is for the Chiefs to bounce back, go to even their record out to 500 at 4-4. Four and four. Um, And, yeah, I think this is going to be the opportunity that they need to kind of get their stuff together and really focus on the next week. Not that the Giants – are not a formidable football team, but 
this should be the week where they kind of wake up and realize, okay, we still are the Kansas City Chiefs, and Pat Mahomes can focus on something that's not his younger brother acting like a complete ass on social media, and he can take out some of that frustration on this battered Giants team. Yeah, and I think that Pat's going to have a good game in this one. He's been very turnover-prone this year so far. He has 18 touchdowns to nine interceptions. That interception ratio is pretty weak compared to what we've seen from Patrick Mahomes in the past. But I think in this game, bro, I just think they get it back together this week. I really do. Because if they don't... It, it, it ain't looking uh, good, Chief. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's kind of ironic, down but bad. it's like... Down bad, down bad. Yeah, it's just... Who would have thought, though? Who would have thought at this point in the season that, that you know, basically halfway through that the Chiefs would be looking at, like, a 4-4 four and four record? They'd be at 500. I don't think anybody had that. Not even close. Was, I think everybody was really kind of expecting like a two-man race when the season started with, you know, Buffalo being up at the top, Kansas City being right next to them, and that that we that it could that it could potentially be just like a running back of the AFC Championship game from last year. But not with KC this year. Not so far. Granted, they still have another half of the season to kind of get it together. And I'm not saying that it's impossible for them to get it back together, but bro, that defense that defense is tough to watch sometimes because they, bro, they're just giving up points left and right. So it ain't looking good, bro. It ain't looking good. But no, I think I think they get back in the win column this weekend. They definitely need to just get something consistent, bro. Like they just need to get some consistency going. Just they just need a spark, and I, I think that this win could potentially provide that. But I you know. I guess we'll find out um, when this game takes place. Yeah, I mean, guys, that about wraps it up. I mean, I just want to touch on something really, really quickly. Um, This past week and some change has literally been altering for Kyle and I as a podcast, as a YouTube channel, as a a collective unit that represent this podcast. Again, I cannot thank you guys enough. We are at 262 subscribers as of right this moment almost completely out of the spectrum of the norm of in terms of like we did not expect this much growth within the last couple of days a lot of this is popping off because of my ben simmons take that is still continuing to erupt it should be at about six thousand views which is just out of this world in terms of expectations but it just goes to show hard work and the dedication and the consistency that we've been able to put out to you guys for the last couple of months has been incredible, and the reception that you guys have given us has been amazing. Um, so thank you, thank you, thank you for everything. I mean, obviously Kyle has done so much for the channel in terms of the thumbnails and the edits and the videos and all of the things that he does. I barely remember to post a damn audio on a good day, so I'm not going to sit here and, and take any credit. So, I mean, big shout-out to my partner, man. We would not be here without you. And, again, thank you guys for all the support because this last, what, 10 or so days, Kyle, has been ridiculous. Oh, not even. I'd say probably just the last week. Um, I mean, I wasn't the one that uh, that made the Ben Simmons point. I was just, I was just doing the edits for it after you made your point. That's, you know, but but that's what we do. You know, sometimes we we have takes where, you know, we get a little bit more animated than we do with other ones, and and that was one in particular where, you know, what needed to be said was said, and. Um, Kevin was really a good source to to make that happen because I know there's been a lot of frustration with the whole Ben Simmons situation 
between his camp and the 76ers camp. And I imagine that's going to be something that we'll be talking about the entire season because, you know, until Ben actually plays for the 76ers, it will remain a story just based on just the division between both Ben and his team right now. So, um, no, I mean, I couldn't do this without, without Kevin. So, you know, like the editing and, you know, the stuff that, you know, I put on YouTube, I mean, it's not as good with just me. I can't carry this by myself. So it's a, it's a team effort. And, and Kevin has, you know, done a fantastic job through, you know, the, what the first, what are we seven months in as a seven or eight, part? something like that. So yeah. We started, we started what in March. I want to say we started in March. We in terms of like, collaborating, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, so, you know, it, I, I'll tell you this. So, I remember when I, when I did the, uh, when I did that episode by myself last week. It wasn't as good. It just didn't, it just didn't feel right. Then like that, but that's like the impact that you have on the podcast. So, for you to be able to, you know, bring the intensity, bring the energy that you bring for every episode you know, coming from me, like, I definitely appreciate that. And I know the audience definitely appreciates, you know, what you put in on an episode by episode basis, because I can carry it from here, here to there sometimes, but it's just, it's not as a well-rounded, uh, it's just not a well-rounded podcast when it's just me, you know, when it's both of us just doing what we do, you know, it, it's just, it's just kind of harmony in that way. So, and it makes for, it makes for a better listening experience and it just makes it fun when we actually sit down and record this. You know, that's what makes it fun. You know, not only for me, but for Kevin as well. So I wouldn't be I wouldn't be here without Kevin. So and Kevin wouldn't be here without me. So, you know, we complement each other very well in that regard. And I wouldn't have had another partner to do it with other than Kevin. So definitely appreciate you, bro. Hey man, we out here, we getting these these dubs. One day we'll be getting this money. We just gotta keep it up. Obviously, like I said, the growth that has come within the last week or so has just been insane. It's been, so. it's, been a, it's been phenomenal. But um with that said, you guys, we'll we'll wrap it up from here. Uh whether you guys listen to us on the audio platforms or on YouTube, uh, we definitely appreciate that. We will have another episode coming out later this week, so definitely stay tuned for that. Other than that, that's all that I got for you guys. Kevin, you got anything else? No, sir. You guys have a great week. Obviously, Thanksgiving is right around the corner. Start prepping them bellies. Start getting mm-hmm. ready because that, that, that grub is coming and I cannot wait. Yes, sir. But with that said, you guys, you know, just thank you guys for tuning in once again. And we'll see you guys later this week. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for season two of the Wanna Bet podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that season two starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. 
I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid. 